0: It's Tuesday at 8pm and you're listening to The Best Possible Taste on West Limerick 102 FM. You're listening to The Best Possible Taste on West Limerick 102 FM. Good evening and you're very welcome to this week's Best Possible Taste. I'm Sharon Noonan and coming up on the show tonight, Helen Cook from This Winding Life returns to the programme. Young entrepreneurs Jack Pierce and Caitlin O'Connor reveal the inspiration behind the horsebox coffee trailer and photographer and stylist Kirsty Lyons shares her journey from the fashion industry into food. But before we talk to Helen, let me tell you how to get in touch with me here at The Best Possible Taste. You can make contact by emailing me, s.noonan at live.ie, or you can tweet me at queenoforg as in organisation, and I'm also on Instagram at Sharon J. Noonan. So if you're looking for a selection of great food-themed books for the perfect summer read, help is at hand thanks to Helen Cook from This Winding Life.
1: Bon appétit. Yummy. Grub's up.
2: Delicious. Mmm.
0: Helen, you're welcome back to the best possible taste, to your regular slot, and tonight we're going to look at fiction and non-fiction foodie themed books. So this is perfect for this time of the year for people might be, they might not be going away on holiday, but they will be off on holiday. So just to to get their reading list in order that they've something to relax in a nice comfy chair at home or if they're in a hotel. So tell us about what you like to read whenever it comes to to books, fiction and non-fiction.
2: Thanks, Sharon. Thanks for having me on. Um, Yeah, well, I mean, I'll read pretty much anything, to be honest. Um, I've been a reader all my life, um, member of book clubs and reading at home. I come from a big family of readers where we all share books, buy books, pass them around. So I'm always reading. Now, I have gone up and down, you know, with how busy life has been. Sometimes there's There might be a year go by and I'd only read one or two books, and then I could be reading all the time, like every day, every night. And I think that's true for a lot of people and a lot of readers. And as we've all, you know, gotten more involved with our devices, in particular, I think a lot reading has fallen away for a lot of people. But it is very, very relaxing. And for me, I find if I'm looking at my phone at night, Sharon, like my eyes get very tired, and I stay quite awake. You know I can't fall asleep as easily so I love to read at night even if I only read a few pages and then I fall asleep I'll keep going so I have lots of recommendations for books and I just thought why not look at some books around food you know because I love food and love to eat love to cook as we've discussed before and there's plenty of really good books out there that sort of celebrate food and have lots of kind of food themes So I kind of created a list for myself more than anything for over the next year of a few books that I'd like to read. Some I've I've read before and I talk about today that I just like to recommend. And then others I haven't read, but I'd love to, um, because if you can't be cooking and eating, you might as well be reading about it.
0: Um, Before we hear the list You've mentioned devices there and obviously a lot of people would be reading now using Kindles or iPads, but I sense from what you've said, you're more a give me the, the book, let me have the physical book in my hand to read.
2: Yeah, I, I've never been able to get with, with Kindles or reading on an iPad or a tablet. Even so so much that about 10 years ago when I, I went traveling on my own um around Asia, my friends thought I was I was crazy because my backpack I could barely lift it up off the ground because there was about eight books in the bottom of it. And they were books just I'd always wanted to read. And I was like, this is a really great opportunity now to read them as as I'm travelling. And they were like, why don't you just get a Kindle you know and put it in your handbag and carry it around with you. But I couldn't. So I read each book and the bag got lighter and lighter because I used to leave them then at hostels or wherever i was staying you know as i kept going but i'm glad i brought them with me
0: well tell us now what is on your list what's at the top of your list what are you what are you recommending above everything else that you have read already
2: that i have read already okay um but there was only two on there that i have read already so we might as well start with them because they are very good the first one is um peter mail's french lessons adventures with knife fork and corkscrew you'll find this very, very easily. So Peter Mayle was, he was quite a big writer back in the 80s and 90s. Um, if we have any younger listeners, they might not know of him, but he was very famous for a book he wrote called A Year in Provence. So it's a, it's a memoir. It's, it's nonfiction. Um, a Year in Provence was about himself and his wife. They moved from middle-class Britain to the south of France. And it was kind of all of their adjustments and you know adventures and kind of getting used to the the rural french way of life um and it sort of gently kind of poked fun at the french from like a british perspective but it's a really lovely easy book to read and then this particular book as Peter then made france his home over the years he obviously fell in love with the food and and the french is some real interesting and unusual um things that they love about their food and they're very, very particular about their food. It was more the particularness about it that he kind of fa- found to be very endearing and and just fascinating. So he takes a trip around France. He he hooks in with various different people he knows in different towns and cities and they take him out on little mini adventures. Like he goes truffle hunting. Um, You know, he goes like to the Loire Valley for wine. Um, He goes to a place where they breed the hens um you know that are the tree colors I don't know if you've seen those Sharon like they've the blue they've these hens in France that they've bred that they represent the colors of the French flag wow so they've kind of got it. I think they've a white breast or, or reddish feathers but their feet are blue they've managed over the years to get them this kind of bluish hint hint of their of, of the feathers on their feet so he goes and meets the farmers like that 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 breed these hens you know um for like I think they're for like the coco van or they're for something you know and around he goes anyway and if you if you have a love of French food or you've an interest in anything kind of French it, it really is a very gentle amusing read
0: it sounds really interesting and was that made into a movie or into a series
2: the the first one was yeah a good few years ago yeah the year in Provence I I can't remember Jeremy Irons might have been in it maybe I can't remember yeah that was that was definitely made into a movie this one is no it wasn't but it's it's more there's plenty of food in the first one for sure but this one is is very very specific to to food and I I think you you know anyone who as I said has any kind of interest in French food will definitely enjoy it okay so that's a good one. Um, Another one, which is fiction, just to, just, I wanted to also include something Irish on the list is Maeve Binchy, you know, again, like in in the eighties and nineties and early two thousands, like Maeve Binchy was one of the biggest, you know, selling authors in Ireland and around the world. Like she was huge. And obviously a lot of her, her books have been made into movies as well. And I think, you know, not that she's been forgotten, but you know, like it's funny people's time kind of moves on. But she has a great, great book called Quentin's, which is about um, a restaurant in Dublin. So she calls it an iconic restaurant. So you could probably imagine some restaurants, you know, in Dublin, if you visit any restaurants in Dublin that you, you know, you might not, you could use the name, but it's not. But she kind of takes off one of those restaurants. And it's about all of the characters and the secrets and the drama that envelops this one you know restaurant and and some of the people that come to eat there and how their lives are all entangled with the owners and the neighborhood and how it's this kind of hub in in the in the city or in the community for lots of kind of little little intrigue and drama but it's a great book it's a great book
0: and i think whenever that book came out there would have been a lot of chat about the particular restaurant around which it was well it was inspired by a particular restaurant which is no longer in existence but people from that era would know what the rest or what that restaurant was which is is always very interesting yeah. it just adds to the intrigue of it because yeah you're, you're wondering how much of it is really fiction and how much of it is maybe based on a fact or two that's has been embellished
2: yeah, and I think you know for a summer reading you can't get any better than Maeve Binchy. Um, you know they're not a taxing they're not taxing read. Her style of writing is so easy to read, and what she's very good at is descriptive prose. So she's just very good at like describing a scene, and she's very good at drawing characters. So if it's something as you said that she just wanted, you know, snuggle up, you know, and have I was going to say one of these rainy summer days, but hopefully. Hopefully this weather will pass, but it's just something that, you know, you're, it'll be very easy, you know, and you'll enjoy it hugely.
0: And let's move on now to the ones on your list that you haven't read yet.
2: Yeah, there's uh, some really interesting books here. I'm really looking forward to reading. So another one, just, they're all fiction actually, but I've one that's non-fiction. So maybe I'll just cover that first and then we'll get into the fiction. So one that I really like to read is um, Jay Rayner. Jay Rayner is a food critic, a restaurant critic from the UK. Many people will know him from, even from TV. He's often the critic on MasterChef and MasterChef The Professionals. He has written for many publications. He's most notably writing for The Guardian as well. And he's a very interesting guy. He has a podcast as well, actually, um, Out to Lunch with Jay Rayner, which I also recommend, uh, where he will be pre-COVID. He would take a person of note or a celebrity out to lunch and then they just record their conversation as they're having lunch. So it's a really interesting podcast. This book, Sharon, is called Wasted Calories and Ruined Nights. And it's his basic deep dive, part memoir, part collection of just some of the most, you know, funny and horrendous places that he's eaten throughout the years. And he's not doing it to be cruel. You know, he was basically saying, I just want a plate of good food. I just want to sit down and have my dinner. Because he does really love, like, unpretentious good food. And how it so often as, you know people who go to restaurants, we can often be very frustrated by the food, you know, that we're getting. So it's supposed to be very, very sharp tongued very witty, very funny, very darkly humorous. And I do enjoy his writing and I do like him as a person. So I think I really would like that. And I imagine it's one you could dip in and out of. So I'm sure if you're someone that, the thoughts of sitting down maybe and reading a whole big book from start to finish, you know, is a bit scary. This one actually would be, you know, quite a nice one, maybe just to, to dip in and out of. And interesting enough, Sharon, I don't know if you heard, but about a year or so ago, he has promised that he'll never write a bad review again. So if he writes a review now for any publication he's involved in, it will be a positive review because he feels for too long, you know, restaurant critics went in to maybe new establishments, you know, that were just finding their feet, and they just like immediately wrote them a bad review, and then they suffered huge consequences, you know, in terms of business. And he's like, people need a chance to get their business up and going. People need a chance. Sometimes there's mistakes. Sometimes the chef is having a bad day or is not there or whatever. So he's like, look, from now on, I'm only going to recommend restaurants that I had a really positive, good experience. And you can make up your own mind when you go, which I think is quite a nice thing.
0: I think that's the way to do it. In this day and age, there is too much Cruelty out there and bad mouth, and, and you know, I, I don't think any of us need to open the paper and read bad stuff unless it's absolutely necessary. So, like current affairs and things happening around the world. But, I, I, you know, you read, as you say, you read that bad review, and the chances are you're not going to go there. So, it could be hugely damaging and it could be the end of that business. By all means give them your feedback and share your experience with them in pub or in private and give them the opportunity to fix what you felt was wrong and go back and hopefully it will be rectified and if it isn't just let it off, move on. Exactly,
2: yeah, yeah. So um so that's a good one uh for anybody who who loves restaurants or likes, you know, enjoys reading um, reviews of restaurants in the papers I think that would be one that you'd quite enjoy so I have then shared about four or five here fiction uh, books that are not necessarily about food per se but where food plays a major major role in the book there's lots of these out there and actually you know if anyone wants to google more there's plenty of lists you know down on through the years of books that feature food. But these are just a few that I'm going to try and um, get to myself in the next while. So the first one here is The Hundred Foot Journey by Richard Moray. And basically, it's the story of apparently a young Indian boy and his family who leave India and then they journey and they end up in France and they end up in Paris. And he begins to work for a three Michelin star chef. And then he ends up, you know, I think in a very low capacity, working his way up and working his way up. And eventually he owns his own restaurant. But it's also, you know, the story of of their lives and the story of his life. And apparently there's lots of really colorful characters, you know, in in his life that he comes across. And, you know, it's the story of of his love of, of food and his love of his own Indian food and then of starting his own restaurant and working in the restaurant industry in in um in France so that one kind of appeals to me in a couple different levels because of just the journey of you know going from nothing you know being an immigrant to then owning your own restaurant but also the the fusion there of Indian food which I really really love and then the French again food culture um so that's one um another one then I have two actually Chinese restaurant based novels but I've seen them pop up again and again on different lists you know that I would read recommending books so I think they would both be quite interesting and one of them is number one Chinese restaurant by Lillian Lee now just to bear in mind both are actually based around American Chinese families and American Chinese food in the states which itself is almost like a subculture you know now of Chinese food and has evolved into its own you know, into its own kind of a culture over there. So this one has it all, Sharon. Like, I think this is one I'm definitely going to read this summer. Apparently, it's got family drama, secrets, arson, blackmail, romance, and lots and lots of great descriptions of, like, Chinese dumplings and Chinese food and cooking. And it's basically about a multi-generational Chinese family who own a restaurant and all of the various different people and and what they want and what they aspire and what they want from their life and their life stories like all entangled and it's all like tied up in the restaurant and the business and all of that so I think that would be really good read, you know because these immigrant families who have moved like Chinese families have moved you know and set up restaurants all over the world and they are very much family businesses you know With the grandmother and and the children maybe the children wanting more out of their lives than what the you know the the parents and all of that so that will be a good one and on the same kind of a tone this one is it's been on the bestseller list for a good number of years it's the joy look club by amy tan and it follows the lives of four chinese women from 1949 on who are living in the san francisco area and they get together, I, I'm not sure, I think once a month or once whatever, and they play like they play cards or, you know, they chat and it's their lives and their story. And again, their their journey, you know, in living in America at that time and beyond and kind of putting down roots and I suppose finding their identity between their like Chinese culture, which they meet in this little club every now and again, you know, and, and eat and you know roll out the pastry for dumplings together and um you know chat about their lives as women so i just think those two would be very interesting and also kind of about um a time in history and about a culture that i haven't read much about myself before
0: do either of those grab you absolutely yeah and uh, you know, I just think the whole woman getting together book clubs are so popular now and they take so many different shapes and forms like some people are there to read the book. some people are there to drink the wine and catch up. Maybe they're it's a combination of it's a cookbook um, book club where they they cook things as well. and the fact that it, it's one of the kind of social, activities that has been able to continue in the past 12 months despite the pandemic because people were able to go online and do it was you know I'd say it was a it was a great relief to a number of people that needed that interaction with their their girlfriends or boyfriends it's not obviously exclusive to women these things but I just think we tend to think of females more whenever um, we're talking about book clubs so it's it's great that you know it's a great hobby to have
2: oh absolutely yeah and you can start a little book club you know with as you said just with your own little group you know and get together and it's a great little hobby as you said because you're just taking time out from all of the other you know um all of the other distractions, and, and you're getting to actually like chat and interact and talk about something kind of cultural, so mm-hmm. it can be great fun. It can be great fun, and um, yeah, so there's so much out there to read, even if you're not in, that interested in food, like, like we are, you know, there's something for everybody, you know. Um I have one more for you, Sharon, um, before we finish up, just for anyone maybe who might have a sweet tooth, and it's a book called Like Water for Chocolate by Laura Esquivel. And it's very interesting, again, because it's about, a, you know, a time and a place that I wouldn't know much about. So it's about turn of the century, Mexico and the De La Garza family. And it just sounds absolutely lovely. Apparently, there's there's romance, there's a big love story. There's also magic. And, you know, there's a bit of alchemy. Uh, there's a lot about food. There's a lot about chocolate um, and maybe a bit of a star-crossed lovers kind of a situation, a young girl and a guy. Um, and and I'm I'm a sucker for those those kind of books. And there's a little bit of a theme too. I love multi I love books about families and multi-generational and all of that kind of thing. So yeah.
0: I was going to say you sound like you're a bit of a romantic, Helen, whenever it comes to choosing your books. You you like the bit of romance in there? I do, I do. I mean
2: it's um I do and I, I do like kind of little bit of fantasy stuff too, which I didn't get into now because it's very niche. <laughs> I, so this one kind of ticks the boxes because apparently there's a little bit of magic or a little bit of, of something um, unusual going on um with the food and, and the romance too. But I do and, and of course fantasy books, um Sharon, are, are well known for their descriptions of food, like the the saga of Fire and Knife, which is is the the series of books that inspired Game of Thrones. I mean, that has just thrown up a whole subgenre of books. There's books with about the food that he describes in those books. So I haven't read those books myself because I actually watched the TV show before I got back to reading the books. But apparently his passages, pages of descriptions of feasts and food and even apparently some recipes. Lord of the Rings, of course, famously also has quite a lot of food in it. The Hobbits enjoy not one, but three different breakfasts. Um, you know, so there's lots of food in fantasy fiction too, but I do know it's very, very niche. So maybe not once for today.
0: <laughs> well, we definitely look at it at, at another stage, Helen. In the meantime, you're going to put that list up onto your blog.
2: I will. I, re- I will. And I'll have it on my Instagram page as well. So it'll be there for anyone who wants to maybe just check out the names of the authors or the books. I might even add another couple to it as we go. And yeah, just
0: happy reading this summer, everybody. Enjoy. Brilliant. And the blog address is thiswindinglife.org. That'll so work. It'll all be there. Well, listen, thanks a million for that. You are back again before we break for the summer. And whenever you return next time, we're going to be talking about the best shows on food because i suppose with netflix and all those channels there's lots of different programs there that we can enjoy as well if we're not in the the frame of mind sit down and apply ourselves to a book we're going to be looking exactly. at the tv shows so we look forward to that helen thanks a million for talking to us tonight thank you sharon take care you're listening to the best possible taste on west limerick 102 fm welcome back to the best possible taste i'm sharon noonan and my next guests this evening are jack pierce and caitlin o'connor the duo behind west limerick's latest culinary venture the horse box coffee trailer i spoke to them by zoom last friday to find out more
2: bon appetit yummy grubs up delicious mmm
0: Caitlin and Jack, you're both very welcome to the Best Possible Taste. Thanks for taking the Zoom call with me on this very wet and windy Friday morning. I hope now the weather is going to be better over the weekend because you're going to be out in the horse box in Broadford. And I'm going to go to you first, Jack, and just tell us what is the horse box in Broadford?
1: Um, so the horse box in Broadford is um, a coffee trailer we set up um, a couple of weeks back now. Um, we're located in Bradford Enterprise Centre uh, at the moment from Saturday and Sunday, um, nine thirty to four thirty, and um, we're available for events and weddings and parties as well if anyone's interested. So, um, yeah, that's what we entail at the moment. anyway.
0: Caitlin, whose idea was it to to start up this venture? Was it yours or Jack's, or was it a kind of combination of the two of you?
3: <laughs> I wish I could say it was mine but in fairness it was all Jack's idea when he first said it to me I kind of I won't lie I rolled my eyes a bit I didn't think he was being too serious but then actually he got a horse box off a neighbour and I mean this horse box is 40 years old and it was it was rusted and everything and I kind of oh god and I rolled my eyes again but then he got working on it and he spent a few weeks with some neighbours and his dad and they really flipped it over and that's really impressive now and it's, he's serving coffee and he actually went through what he said. In fairness to him, he went all the way with it.
0: And tell us, Jack, where did you get the idea? Where was the inspiration from to turn the horse box into a coffee trailer?
1: So back around January, uh, myself and my dad were above in car and we were going to do a job for, I was delivering chicken that day, so I was up a slippery drive and we are out in, said Little Island and a place in Cork and there was this coffee, it was a horse box pulled up in the middle of a car park I hadn't seen it before, Like you know, it was this, they were selling coffee out of it and there was a queue down and I was saying to myself, like, wouldn't be mad if there was one around like closer to us and then that was grand, I didn't really do anything about it and then another month later we were above park and we saw one somewhere else and I goes, Dad, I might try this and I kind of got looking around for a horse box and kind of just found, happened to find one very close home that um, was old now but we had a lot of work to do and sure, with the help of, I um, will say, Jerry Ford, Nile Ford, Thomas Ford, we all put it together, like, as in, and we did a methodical job to it. So it all turned out well in the end anyway, hopefully.
0: And did you do much research on what you were going to need for the interior? Because obviously you needed power of some description, electricity for machines, refrigeration. There must have been a bit of research went into what you actually needed to make it work and make it viable. Yeah.
1: Definitely, yeah. We did a lot of research. already. visiting. I spent we spent a few weeks visiting different sh- coffee shops and different coffee traders around, I'd say, Munster nearly, just seeing what they're like, getting a bit of from every one of them, and uh, trying to put it into our own. And um, yeah, power, especially like, is in that was one that um, what well, was trying to see what's the best way to go about with that. But um, yeah, it's. I think we have what's at the moment anyway.
3: I think he was lucky too that like. He has neighbours and he has mm. friends who have information on everything. He was really helped out, kind of thing. You know, he had lots of people to ask and go up with questions. Definitely,
0: yeah. Well, I know you both won't mind me saying that, Jack, you're 19 and Caitlin, you're 18. So you're both very young entrepreneurs. You're you're both students. You're on your gap year at the moment, Caitlin. Looking forward to going to, to study in Dublin in, in September and you're studying to be a teacher, Jack. And Caitlin, you're doing, well, I would call it a rather unusual course in September. I certainly haven't heard of it before. What are you off to study?
3: Um, Clinical Measurement Science. It's up in TUD, so the Technological University of Dublin. How would I describe it? You would go into hospitals after it. You'd be helping with diagnosis. be using machines to help people with their diagnosis. And um, you'd be working. Basically, what I wanted to do, what I said I wanted to do, was work with people and I love biology and I love science, so I wanted to incorporate social and science. That's why I went with that. But we see now, when I go up there, what would it be for me? That's I said, we'll try it anyway. We'll give it a go.
0: It sounds like a plan. And in, term, yeah. in terms of the coffee trailer then, neither of you come from a food background in terms of family business, but you both come from farming backgrounds jack you mentioned that the inspiration came whenever you were down doing a farming delivery in in um in cork and you come from a beef farm so have you any plans to do like beef burgers or anything like that
1: um no not at the moment anyway um (laughs) hasn't crossed my mind at all actually but (laughs) <laughs> Maybe don't lie, we'll never know. See
0: <laughs> Well, look, let's talk a bit about the coffee that you're serving in the horse box because people are very, very particular now whenever it comes to coffee. The the instant Nescafe just doesn't cut it anymore. Tell me about the research that you did into getting the right machine, the training for the machine, and then the right brand of coffee that was going to appeal to your customers.
3: Jack got in contact with a man called Willie, and he's from Newry and Down, and Willie's nearly like a consultant for coffee. He's, like, really in the business. He's all with the times of coffee culture, and obviously there's a big trend with coffee at the moment, so we know that, like, there's a lot of, say, coffee snobs is what they're called. You know, not in a bad way, but just people are are particular about their coffee, so we didn't want to go open a coffee trailer and then saying we're not selling great coffee because there's no point doing that, really, in these times. So Willie, anyway... Uh, he supplies us with our machine, our grinder, all the kind of equipment you need to be serving good coffee. He also, as we said earlier, he roasts his own beans called, he calls them monsoon. And it's a mix of tree beans. That's the beans we use. And he also gave us our barista training. So he made sure we are fully trained and capable of serving a good coffee. Because at the end of the day, if you're opening a coffee trader, we said that we don't want to be serving coffee that we're not proud to give out. And we're not... Um, like happy to drink ourselves like we're on a buzz all day because we drink our own coffee we think it's great we might be being biased but yeah we that was one thing we said if we're opening the well jack said anyway from the start he's opening the coffee trailer like the coffee has to be really top standard there's no point in opening something and pushing it and then disappointing people so willie was our man for that
0: and then, Jack, we all need a little sweet treat to go with the coffee, and you're sourcing cookies locally.
1: Yeah, um, the SOS cookies. Um, I won't even like you. I just chanced my arm, hoping that she'd supply um, Sarah Sullivan, is her name, inside Limerick, who's the owner of SOS cookies. And um, I just chance my arm because I just had a few, like, I'd say, different places, and would um, love if we could supply them, let's say, from our own trailer. And she was um, only to get in contact with us because she said like um it would be great publicity for her around the west limerick area which she didn't have before so um yeah we're in contact and we're doing the sos cookies um every weekend now as well which is great
0: and of course for the non-coffee drinkers and the younger audience you have tea and you also have hot chocolate
1: uh teas and the hot chocolates um they're great sellers as well and they're very nice also um We also have the different alternative milks, uh, oat, soya, almond, coconut, and we also have this new milk called sprout milk, which um, they're all vegan friendly, um, just different options if they ever wanted to.
3: With the sprout milk, um, it was actually a customer who asked us, have we it available? And we actually said no, but obviously at the end of the day, the customers are people who are most important to us. So she said that with the sprout milk, as well as being like vegan-friendly and alternative milk, it's also celiac-friendly, whereas the other alternative milks wouldn't be. So obviously that was something we said, okay, well, why wouldn't we get that on board? We want to have as many options for the, like our customers as possible. So the next day we went in and we sourced pro, uh, sprout milk, and it's also actually really high in protein, which she told us as well. And that's obviously great. It's a really big thing now to get your protein in for all the athletes around and John Bradford Club and is very <laughs> famous football club and hurling club. So all the athletes around and ladies football club will be getting the experiment for their protein intake.
0: That's absolutely amazing that you have answered or responded to the customer needs like that. And it's, it's great to hear that the demand is there for almond milk and different types of right. milk. Was that something that surprised you, Jack? Um, I
1: suppose... Um, in a way, yeah, um, it did. Because, um, like, at the end of the day, um, I didn't feel um, like that we'd have the, the, the buzz. Like, as in, it, I don't think it would kick off as quick as it did. I was hoping maybe over time it might kick off. Um, but I didn't think it would have the impact that it had. Um, it's like, just, it's a great buzz for people, I suppose, to meet safely during COVID as well. Like, as in, it's a great boost into the community just to have something like that. As in, that people can come down on a weekend, drink a coffee. meet up like in a safe environment which is great to have also like
0: and of course in broadford you have a lovely playground there and you have the walking trails so it's ideal for people to park up at the enterprise center get their coffee and throw the children into the playground or go for their walk first and and have the coffee afterwards
1: exactly yeah that's it and um, on sunday there there was a lot of cyclists coming through and they stopped for a coffee it's a great place for them to stop. Also, like, because they usually would stop in Bradford, they not like um let's say a whole pile from the kind of avail from, but it's just another stop and just another place for them for them to be able to stop.
0: A very diverse range of customers then, from the local Barry's tea drinker to the cyclist and to the the sports people. You're both into sport yourself, I would think.
3: I'm actually from Cleedy, so I'm I play. Um, Camogie with Cleedy and we won the senior club the county last year I was involved with that team and then I played football with Durham Bradford so we also won the intermediate county last year as well so a
1: successful two clubs <laughs>
0: <laughs> and what about yourself Jack
1: um yeah I'm playing J- Hurling football with Durham Bradford and um, I'm learning soccer with Bradford also so um, yeah mm-hmm. I'm fairly mm-hmm. flat out um, I'm in with the football in Limerick at the moment as well, so like we're going to a twin team, but um, yeah, we're training away now, flat out, since the return to sport.
0: Well, I'm sure you're delighted about that, and it's a great way to promote a new business whenever you're part of teams like that, because it's so easy to get the, the word out there about your new business, and hopefully now at some of the future matches, the coffee trailer will be parked up there so that the spectators then can enjoy a nice coffee while they're watching the match or at half
1: time. Hopefully like yeah also.
3: Yeah, one thing we said from the start is if we're not busy, the thing is it's on wheels. Yeah. So we put up like if you're not busy somewhere, you the good thing is you can pull up somewhere where it is busy, where people do want coffee. So you're never limited really. Well touch wood.
0: So we're coming into the summer now, um, you're going to be off college, I'm sure you maybe finished college for the summer now, Jack, and no doubt busy farming because it is kind of a 24-7 job and Caitlin, you'll be going off to Dublin in September, so what's the plan between now and September?
1: Um, I suppose um, during the summer, right, we'll a bit, we'll open up more, we might spread our locations a bit just to get out there um we're available as we said earlier we're doing a few weddings during the summer a few parties here and there like as well so um yeah summer will be very busy hopefully would. when we come back
3: we <laughs> haven't talked too far ahead but i presume we're gonna keep going on the weekends if we can and i'll be coming down if he needs me to come down and he, limerick he's in limerick so it's not too far of a drive either it we make it work if the demand's there <laughs>
0: Fantastic. Well, listen, congratulations on the resounding success of it in such a short space of time. If people want to find you or get more information, where is the best place for them to go online?
1: So um, we're available on Instagram and Facebook. So through Facebook, it's the Horsebox Coffee Trailer, And through Instagram, it's the Horsebox uh, underscore. So um, we're available through those um, social media platforms anyway if anyone wants to get in t- contact with us.
0: Well, listen, great to talk to you both and I look forward to visiting again very soon.
1: Thanks very much, Sharon, for having us. Um, thanks to everyone who supported us so far and for those who are going to support us in the next coming weeks also. Um, just before I finish, I'd like to thank uh, Jerry Ford, Niall Ford, and Thomas again, once again. Um, they've devoted time into the, the box and uh, without them, the horse box wouldn't be what it is at all. Um, their knowledge is... Um, beyond what we thought or we could have put together and um, no just couldn't do it without them either so like thank them especially thanks very thank much
0: thank you you're listening to the best possible taste on West Limerick 102FM Welcome back to The Best Possible Taste. I'm Sharon Noonan and our final guest tonight is food photographer and stylist, Kirsty Lyons.
1: Bon appétit. Yummy. Grubs up.
2: Delicious. Mmm.
0: Kirsty, lovely to meet you and thanks so much for joining me here on the programme. You are a food photographer and a food stylist, but before we get into more detail about that, we want to find out a bit about you yourself. You're from Tipperary.
4: Yes, uh, thanks for having me on the show, Sharon. Um, yeah, I'm originally from Chipperary. Um, Clonmel um, is where I was born. Um, so I I was there until 18, where I moved to Cork um, to, to do my degree. And then I moved to Dublin to do my master's. And I, I stayed there then for 10 years before moving to Limerick last August. So that's been my journey so far.
0: <laughs> Tell me what you studied at Cork and what you did your master's in. So
4: in Cork, I did a a Bachelor of Arts. I did Art History and Politics. Um, So I suppose I kind of got there. It wasn't my first choice of what I wanted to do. Um, I kind of took a a different um, path, I suppose. Um, I originally had wanted to do journalism and a couple of other communication courses, but didn't get the points. Um, So I thought, like, I was always really interested in the... History of art side of art. I suppose I loved art as a subject. Uh, I suppose that's probably why I've ended up doing something kind of creative um, in the end. But I, I wouldn't have been like brilliant at drawing or doing the portfolio section, I suppose, of of going to art college would have been kind of a, a difficult one for me. It's something I, I kind of thought about, but um, I had decided I wanted to kind of go down more creative communications I suppose um direction and then didn't get the point so thought that art history and politics is also something I was I really interested in um so kind of said I do that for the three years and and just I suppose get a degree in in an, a broad arts discipline and see what happened from there um and then I ended up applying for a master's in journalism in Griffith College in Dublin so it kind of all worked out in the end. I think I ended up getting the the qualification that I had originally wanted, and it just took a bit longer, I suppose.
0: And when did your love of photography come into play? Is that something that you've always been involved in from an early age? Yeah, I suppose it's
4: something I'm. I always was aware of. Um, I think with art history, that kind of gave me a good grounding in like visuals and. Reading an image, and I suppose it's all relative. Like especially when you start to get into like postmodern art and stuff, like photography is such a big aspect of that. Um, I think that's probably where I started thinking about imagery and what it means and that kind of aspect. But like I, I wasn't like one of those people who who were like oh, I was born with a camera in my hand, and I got my first camera when I was three. I'm not like I wasn't like that. Um. So when I got my first camera phone, I think that was when I just loved taking pictures. Um, And I suppose that's what's so good about camera phones, is it's so accessible to so many people now. Um, But that, then with doing the Master's in Journalism, I did a photojournalism module, which I absolutely loved. Um, And I suppose it was good, actually, in the Master's that I realised it was the Creative parts of it that I I was good at and I really liked, rather than the kind of more um, theoretical side of things, which I like I found interesting but I didn't enjoy as much and I definitely wasn't as good at. <laughs> um. So then when I I left um, Griffith, I I got an internship in a fashion magazine, a celebrity magazine I suppose you call it. Um. um and I started as an intern, I had to like style different shoots. So you'd go out to the store and you'd pick the different looks for whoever you were dressing. Um, and I did that for about a year. Um, and I, I really liked it. But I, I think I found the freelancing side of things difficult because I suppose I was so young as well. I was only about 21 when I was doing that. Um, so then a, a job came up um, in Dunn store's head office. And they were setting up their photo studio to go online. And I applied for the styling job there and I got it. And that was such a blessing that I got that job because I was working all the time, like completely immersed with a team of photographers and retouchers and stylists. And it felt like it was the place that I was meant to be, if you know what I mean? Like it was, It was really good to be surrounded by so many creative people. And I think it was from there really that I started paying such close attention to like what the photographers were doing and I was always looking at like oh, how are they lighting something or like asking them loads of questions they probably thought I, they probably were wondering why I was asking them all these questions when like I was there to style but I was just so interested in how the I suppose as well like studio photography is so different to to like location photography, like there's so many different types of photography. I think even I, I started to to recognize that. Um, and then I met a lovely girl at Dunn's um, called Aoife, who used to assist the Marks and Spencer's food stylist in London. And I think that was when I was like, oh my God, that could be a job. Like that's amazing. Cause I suppose I'd never really thought of food as a job.
0: The world of fashion is so glamorous. But obviously, there, there, there's a reason why the, the food styling piqued your interest.
4: Styling in general, I suppose, it's it's such a, a subjective thing. Um, and I think with food, you actually, in some ways, can be a bit more creative. Because with fashion, a lot of, like, say, I suppose a lot of it's tied into commercial interests. So they might have like a, a they will have a certain story that they want to push or they'd have a certain product they might have bought a large quantity of that you have to use. Um, It's probably not as creative as like working with kind of the colors that you like or the, the shapes that you like that you can do in food. Um, but I definitely think they're tied in together. Like it's like even the color theory and stuff is, is something that you'd use in food photography. Um, and just uh, in general, I suppose, like, you, you can create the images that you like to look at. Um, and I suppose as well, like, because I can style and, and shoot my own food, I kind of have total autonomy over the image compared to when you are a fashion stylist, you're always working with a team of people. And so even if you have, like, a strong um, vision for, for a shoot or how you'd like it to look at the end, it, it's, like, inevitably going to be watered down to a certain extent because of the, the team aspect of it. Which is a good thing in a lot of ways because you maybe are pushed in different directions and it ends up being better than what you imagined. But there is something nice as well about having a, a picture in your head of what you want to achieve and being able to to achieve it exactly how you wanted it.
0: Can you remember your first food photography, food styling gig?
4: It would have been in Dunn's and it, it would have been kind of like a like a food styling gig um, I think it was, there's two that kind of stick out to me. There was a pastries and a mince pie one. So I remember like um, adding the filling, adding more filling into the mince pie (laughs) just to make it look really full. Um... But that's probably what sticks out to me, and then just kind of like working with different props and stuff, like trying to to get that Christmasy feel in the shot. I remember that
0: with food styling, you probably get to taste and eat a lot of the food, whereas with whenever it's clothes, the chances of you taking <laughs> home a new wardrobe each time, it, it, there's less chance of that happening. And it is, it must be more challenging with food to make it look as good as it needs to to look so that it's appetizing because a lot of the colors can be very dull and mundane compared to in fashion where you've lots of maybe bright colors and and bright patterns so there are little tricks and things that you can do to 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 make that happen to make the food look really good
4: I'd kind of use oil and a brush um, a lot for just kind of adding some shine and and kind of, I suppose, reflecting a bit. Um, I kind of try not to mess around too much. You know that you'd see those videos online with them using, like, shaving foam instead of ice cream and stuff. I, that wouldn't really be my kind of thing. Um, like, retouch Photoshop is so important um, for me. It, like, I, I really, it really helps me because you can select a certain colour and then you can you can really tweak it to make it the exact right colour that you want. Um, so I do that a lot. Like say you you choose like say this morning actually before I was speaking to you, I was I was um photograph I was retouching a, a bowl of granola and there was raspberries on it and, and they looked to be yellow. So I'm able to just choose the raspberry and bring up the reds just to make it look vibrant like how a raspberry should look. <laughs> Um, so I find that really interesting. Actually, I love I love the retouching side of it as well.
0: Last August, you launched your own business. What was the inspiration to do that?
4: Um, so it was kind of it, it it had kind of been coming for a while actually, and it it just happened to coincide with the pandemic. So it's it's kind of it's turned into a funny um, I suppose lifestyle change. Like people are like, why did you move to Limerick during the pandemic? Um, so basically my partner, um, his company has uh, an office in Dublin and also in Limerick and they were encouraging people to move to Limerick. And we talked about it, it like this is probably two years ago, I'd say, that they first kind of, the idea first came up. Um, and we decided we'd move. And it was kind of always in my head. I suppose I was kind of like, I'd been, I'd been in dance for so long, I, it was kind of coming to the stage that I wanted to do something myself. Um, and it kind of just made sense to me really like when I was when I was shooting at home myself I was I was photographing the food I was making um, and I suppose I was just getting more and more into the food photography and, and getting more interested in it so when when he kind of came home and said oh they're they're actually looking for people to move and they like first we were like oh there's no way we'd do that but then it, it, as the weeks went on, we found we kept talking about it um and eventually we kind of decided it'd be nice to be closer to home he's from Tipperary well, um and I just thought it'd be a great opportunity to give something a go that I I'd been wanting to do for a while um and it just happened to coincide with the the lockdown (laughs) Uh, I suppose I was kind of like when we were moving uh because it all got delayed. Like we, we went sale agreed in our house in March last year, but then when COVID came, everything just got delayed. Um, so it ended up being August. But um, it wasn't kind of till we were moving, I was like, oh my God, I'm leaving a full-time job <laughs> during a pandemic. Um, but it's, it's just worked out so well. Like I couldn't have asked for it to, to go better. And I think Limerick has just been great for, like people are, are, have been really friendly and really welcoming and it's it's been a great place to to reach out to people and people have been really responsible what, about what I'm doing um, and I suppose it kind of has that town feel I suppose compared to Dublin um, so yeah like it, it was it was a great decision like I, I had that moment when we first moved down that I was like oh my god what have I done but no, you know it, it's been great I couldn't have asked for it to have gone better to be honest
0: if people go on to your instagram account they can see some of the fantastic products that you photographed since you launched last year and there's a few limerick products there and a few west limerick products such as bra chocolate
4: yeah i loved working with anna um she got in touch it's actually uh, she works with chris towers who runs um, food story agency and I've, it's been really great. I've I've worked with him on a, a good few projects now. Um, he's such a, he's so good at what he does. Um, and it was through Chris that that Anna reached out to me um, when she was launching her Easter eggs, which were absolutely amazing. <laughs> um, so like it's been it's been so good to meet people like Anna and to see like what she has grown even since launching during the pandemic also. Um. Like it's it's just amazing how how her company has just gone from strength to strength, and it's been great. Even I suppose getting an opportunity to shoot product for someone who's so talented like that and so well thought of, um, like it's it's just been amazing. Like everything she does is just like it's done with such finesse. Like even the product packaging and just everything about her product is is amazing. So it it was really nice to to shoot for Anna.
0: And of course, those photographs. There's a lot of finesse around the photographs that you've done, and that's really important in that selling process. The PR coverage that Chris has got for Anna, which is complemented by your photographs, because the press just love good quality, high res images, and and you're able. You you know you're a part of of Anna's success.
4: Oh, that's really nice to hear actually. <laughs> yeah, that's nice to think of it like that. I suppose it's like I'm always just delighted when I see my images come up in, in the press. Um and actually with, with that Easter egg shot in particular, I feel like it, it just it just seemed to be the right image that, that certain publications were looking for. Um I suppose because it was kind of minimal, I think as well, and the pop of green and the with the pistachios on the front of the egg, I think that it just kind of worked for publication like it fitted in with other images which i suppose is something that you have to think of um but yeah like it's it was it was amazing to to see it being covered in so many publications it was
0: great so what's next for Kirsty Lyons photography now you you know you ha- you're not even a year in business but it's going from strength to strength so what's your vision for the business moving forward
4: um, I suppose I just love to to reach out and get get more and more clients. <laughs> um, like I've been I've been really really like I've really enjoyed the clients I've worked with so far. Um, something I did recently actually, which which I would be interested in doing a bit more of, is um, I photographed the cliff at Lions um, up in Kildare, and that kind of got me thinking that like hotels is is another kind of market that I'd be very interested in. Just and especially, I suppose the cliff, like the cliff at Lyons, is just amazing because they grow a lot of produce themselves. So it was lovely to get to shoot the like the chefs out in the gardens and then shoot the finished dish. Like I'm really interested in that. I love seeing kind of the process of um, of the the product, I suppose, like coming to the plate. Um. So I think hotels as well are such an experience and I suppose as well because of the lockdown we haven't had a chance to get that experience um so I think I I would be really interested actually in in doing a couple more hotels um but like other than that I think just I'd, I'd love to keep like photographing local businesses like even I was down in the milk market on Saturday and it's just amazing like the the amount of really good quality local producers that are in Limerick um so I, I suppose just kind of keep building on that and and a nice mix as well like I liked like shooting for Anna being able to do kind of like a product shot and then also the kind of behind the scenes like I love that kind of mix and I think that's what you get from the more local producers that you can do those kind of style shots of a dish and then you can shoot product and then you can shoot them making it like, I like that kind of mix. Um, so, yeah, I suppose just keep on, keep building and hope it keeps going the way it's been going so far.
0: <laughs> well, it has been lovely to talk to you today. Thanks so much for sharing your story and your, your journey, which is going to continue for years to come and go from strength to strength. And we wish you a continued success.
4: Thanks a million Sharon and if anyone wants to see my work um, you can find my website is KirstyLyons.ie
0: and my Instagram is KirstyLyonsPhoto. Brilliant, thanks again
2: Bon appétit Yummy Grubs up Delicious Mmm
0: And that's all we have time for tonight Thanks for listening and to all of my guests Helen Cook, Caitlin O'Connor Jack Pierce, and Kirsty Lyons Until next week